beginning in verse 1, reading down through to verse 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. and You ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your... Sorry, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against another brother and others, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? May the Lord bless you, Pastor, as you bring us that very challenging word. And us, might we have a heart? We were praying for you as a leadership this morning. To you, my King. Lord, we come this morning, and uh, it doesn't really matter how we feel, and it doesn't really. What matters most, Lord, in this moment is that you're pleased with our worship. You're honoured. You're glorified with our lives. We pray, Lord, for how you're going to speak to us this morning through James, Lord, that we really would have ears to hear and open hearts to hear what you might say to us. And then the will to obey you on Monday through Saturday. So, Lord, would you just really come this morning by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus and come and minister the Word of God to us and change us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, I hope you've been enjoying our series through James. I certainly have. Me and my family have been going through James. But before we get any further, is there anyone's birthday here this morning? If you were here last week. Oh, there's a birthday. Let's give Margarita a clap for a birthday. Anyone else's birthday, Jeff? You know? Ian's birthday. I don't believe it. (laughs) Well, if you've been here on Sunday morning, we've been reading and studying through the book of James. And it has been transforming me. And it's been transforming my family. And that's the thing about God's Word. It can transform us if we get into it and we study it 
And it becomes part of our lives, not just that a message that we hear on Sunday and we listen to on Sunday, but something that we take home with us and and dwell on and think about and meditate on and and really get into. And so we're up to chapter 4 in James. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to chapter 4. We also have in your bulletin that came in this morning, you should have a little... um, notes section that should you should have some notes you can fill out and do some notes on the back side of that is some uh, devotions that you can do with your family why don't you just wave the notes in the air so that I can see that you have them all right they have blanks in there so it's a fill in the blank thing to keep you engaged with what we're doing as we're going along all right and so this morning we come to James chapter 4 Nine tests of real faith. We're up to test seven. So we've only got two left to go. And then we'll be done with the book of James next week and the week after. Then we're going to be studying the book of 2 Corinthians. That's going to be good. Who here has studied the book of 2 Corinthians before? Yeah, it's a good book. Strengthened to Serve, one of my favorite books. So we'll be getting into that next term and really going through that and letting God's word build us and grow us and change us. But we come to James chapter four and James starts, James chapter four, verse one, with a very relevant question. A very relevant question. Look down in your Bibles, James chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you're just new. We love new people coming along. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. Come and speak to our pastoral team. We'll give you Bibles. We love the Bible here. James chapter chapter 4, verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, guys, I don't want you to put it up on the screen, all right? I want people to look in their Bibles. When I say look in your Bibles, I want you to look down into your Bible because I want you to see what it is in there, not necessarily what is it up there, okay? So look down in your Bibles, the relevant question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't that a relevant question? Isn't that a relevant question for your life? What causes fights in my marriage? What causes fights in my family? What causes fights in the church? What causes fights in my work situation? What causes fights? What causes quarrels? What causes me to rise up and get angry? What causes fights in our lives? You know the common answer to that question? The common answer is this. What causes fights and quarrels? Other people. Other people. You know what causes fights in my marriage? My stinking husband. He's an idiot. What causes fights in my family? My children, have you met them? What causes fights in my workplace? My boss, I mean, that guy is a loser. He's a complete dictator. It's like Adolf Hitler walking. What causes fights in the church? Simple, the new senior pastor. What causes us to fight and quarrel? Other people, other people. That's the way we answer it, isn't it? It's not in here, it's out there. That's what causes fights among people. It's everyone else's fault. Went on to Facebook, you'll even find a page on Facebook called It's Everyone Else's Fault, a a Facebook group that you can join. Everyone else's fault. That's the common way we answer that question. But look down and see how James answers it in verse 1. Look down in your Bibles. He says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. He's saying that the the cause of fights and quarrels isn't out there. The cause is actually, there's a war going on in here. And he uses the word passions. 
Now, when the Bible, when James originally wrote the Bible, he wrote it in Greek because that was the language of the time and and it's now translated for us into English. And this word that James used is the word hedone, which means either passions or it means pleasures. And uh, we get our word hedonist from that. Someone who is completely consumed with their own self-centered desires. Someone who's all about themselves, about living for themselves. And James says, that's where fights and trials come from. That's where fights and quarrels come from. It's when you're completely hedonistic, when you're consumed with your own self-centered desires. Isn't this true? Look, look down in the very next verse. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You want something, you want your self-centered desires to be fulfilled and it's not being fulfilled. And so what do you do? You murder. Now, probably most of us here don't murder people. I, I'm hoping... We don't go to that extreme. But what we do, I bet we do this. We mentally murder people. We cut people off. We shun people. We wish that those people didn't exist because they have blocked our desires. They have blocked what we wanted to happen. He goes on to say, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel because your self-centered desire is not being fulfilled, that's what causes you to fight, to rise up, to quarrel, to rise up, to get angry. See, the war without comes from a war within that you are consumed with your self-centered desires. See, it is a relevant question. What causes fights and quarrels among us? James says, it's because we have self-centeredness. We are selfish Our self is on the seat of our hearts. Now, as I've shared many times, I have five children. Let me just get rid of some of these things that are are blocking my stage. Um, I have five children, and um, what we'll do sometimes is, uh, on a Saturday afternoon, occasionally, this doesn't happen too often, but I'll get a guilt complex about how dirty my car is. So I think I have to go wash my car. So I'll, I'll head, try to sneak out the door and Tegan say, what are you doing? I'm, I'm just going to wash the car, darling. And all my kids hear that I'm going to wash the car. And they're like, Daddy, can we come and wash the car with you? We'd love to wash the car with you. And I'm thinking, oh, no. This is just going to be a disaster. And then Tegan turns to me and she does this thing that I can never resist. She turns to me and she goes, oh, go on. <laughs> go on. And so... And so I'm like, all right. And so we get outside and there's my five kids and I've got these, you know, <laughs> my, my buckets and I've got sponges. And of course, you know, the kids take the best sponges. I mean, and I'm left with this old filthy Superman t-shirt rag to try and wash the, wash, the, wash the car with. And so I'm washing away on one panel and, you know, I've just finished one panel of the car and I'm moving on to the second panel and I turn around and there's Ava re-washing, you know, that panel. Um, It's frustrating. My level of frustration is rising. And then, and then, you know, I I completely finish one side of the whole car and I've I've shammed it all down and it looks perfect. looks beautiful. I go around the other side to start on the other side. And what happens? One of my other kids has got the hose out and they're now like wetting that side again. Having fun. And inevitably what will happen is my temperature will rise. My and eventually I will just explode. Just leave me alone, kids. Let me wash the car. Where does that come from? 
It comes from my self-centered, selfish desires. I want to finish that car so I can go and, and watch, you know, the eagles defeat the crows. That's, that's, what, that's what I want to do, you see. I want to get it over and done with so I can be done with that and go inside. It comes from a self-centered desire, selfish desires. And that's where our fights and quarrels come from. Do you realize something? Do you realize that God could change your situation? He could. Do you believe that? Is God powerful enough to change your situation? So he could, he could instantly change the heart of your husband or your wife. He could instantly do that. He could instantly change your boss's heart or, or give you a new job. He could do that. He could change it. Look down, James says in verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe you've never taken your situation to God and say, God, help me in my situation. Change my situation. Change it, Lord. And God could do it because God is big enough, he's powerful enough to change every person's situations right, right here. But you know what? Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe... Maybe, rather than change your situation, maybe what God wants to do is change you through the situation. You see, maybe not getting what you desire actually, maybe if you got what you desire, it wouldn't be actually a good thing for you. You notice what what James says in verse 3. Look what he says. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, maybe if you got what you selfishly desired, it wouldn't be the best thing for your life or your heart. As I said, we've got five children. Our youngest is Isabella, beautiful little two-year-old girl. But now she's starting to walk around. She's a bit of a zipper. She can run pretty quick. And any chance she gets, if we leave the door open, she's out the door. She just wants to escape. That's, that's what she wants to do. It must be terrible living in my home, but that's what she wants to do. She wants to escape any chance she gets. And so, you know, there's been times where we've left the door open and we've gone, where's Bella? Oh, no, she's outside. And so we'll get outside and she's almost halfway down the driveway. And we live beside Lakeside Cafe and in front of Lakeside Cafe are a number of lakes, right? And our fear is that she would just run straight outside and straight into the lake. You see, she desires to escape. But getting what she desired would not be the best thing for her. And maybe getting what you really desired would not be the best thing for you. Maybe God wants to change you through the situation. I remember listening to a guy by the name of Neil T. Anderson, and he was telling this story about this problem person who in his church, whenever he wanted to change anything, he came to the church and there was this guy and He always would oppose him in business meetings, always oppose him in anything he wanted to bring, any change he wanted to bring in the church, he would oppose him, oppose him, oppose him, oppose him. It's just, you know, that sort of guy. And uh, so Neil T. Anderson did what, uh, you know, you're supposed to do, you're told to do, is whenever you get a difficult person, you're supposed to pray them out of the situation, right? Pray that God will either move them on or, you know, move them on to glory, I guess. You know, you just pray. Pray that God will move them on. That's what you told us, Pastor. Pray them out. Pray them out. And so he prayed and prayed and prayed about it, and he never moved. God never changed. God never moved the guy out of the church. He was there the whole time he was pastoring. 
And Neil T. Anderson said this. He said he realized that what God was doing was more about him than about that other man. You see, God wants to change us through our situations. There's probably no one in this room, or maybe there might be, but, but that have had more serious fights in their marriage than Tegan and I. Uh, as I've shared before, we got married at the age of 19 and we brought many problems into our marriage. And for the first five years, it didn't go well. We would fight we would fight and we would fight. It was one time I collected all her clothes up and put it in a suitcase and chucked it out the front door and said, you're out of here. That's how bad it got in our situation. And I would pray and pray to God to change her, to change her heart or give me a new wife, to be quite honest. I'd pray that. And things started to change for me when I realized two things. Firstly, I could not change her myself. I couldn't manipulate her and change her. Secondly, I realized that it wasn't about God changing her. It was about God changing me. And I'm happy to say that after 17 years of marriage, we are more happy and more blessed than we've ever been before. You see, God wants to change you and the way he changes you is through these situations. Your marriage, that hurtful boss, the person in this church who has like a serrated edged personality. God wants to use those situations to change you. You see, I, I ask you this question, what is God really concerned about? What is God really concerned about? Because we're Westerners and we live in Australia, we think that God is really concerned about our happiness, that we have the good life, the blessed life, our best life now. But James goes on to tell us the real question. What's the real question? So the relevant question is what causes fights and quarrels and James says that it's our selfish desires. But then James surfaces the real question. See, the fights and trials and struggles and quarrels, they surface a real question, the real question. Look down in verse 4. James says, you adulterous people. Now, James was a preacher. I love James for this. And I can imagine him when he's preaching this. He's, he's whacking the pulpit. He's raising his voice. He's getting very passionate. And he's saying, you're an adulterous people. See, what James is doing is James is telling us something so beautiful about our relationship with God. In the Old Testament, God's people had such an intimate relationship with God that the way that it was described was using the metaphor of marriage, that God was the husband and God's people were his bride. That's how close the relationship was. And as we come into the New Testament, Jesus is pictured as being the husband. And the church is pictured as being his wife. And you see, that is why. That is why quarrels and fights are so awful. Because when we're quarreling, when we're fighting, our hearts are consumed with ourselves. It comes from our selfish desires 
And we're betraying the one who we've been betrothed to. Our hearts are no longer captivated by God. And Him alone, our our hearts are captivated by ourselves. We've betrayed God. Have you ever sat with someone who's had a spouse be unfaithful with them? And the look of betrayal in their eyes? That's what it's like when we betray God and we live for ourselves rather than live for Him. Having given Him our whole hearts. I have a friend in the United States. His name's Ryan Ho. And I met Ryan um, when I was going to seminary and he became my best friend. He lived right next door to me. And uh, Ryan, um, uh, Ryan was an amazing guy and uh, he once told me about how in September 11th, 2001, you know, when the terrorists came and they flew their planes into uh, the World Trade Center, uh, Ryan told me that he had actually, he was actually working on the same block that day in another building that was close to the World Trade Center. He was there. And Ryan told me that this was one of the most terrifying moments of his whole entire life as he saw those World Trade Centers fall down. It took him hours to get down his building because the power had been cut off. It took him hours to make uh, his way home. It was a very, very terrifying experience. Now, what would it be like if I was to say to Ryan, Ryan, you're my good friend, but today I'm going to hang out with some guys from Al-Qaeda. How do you think that would make him feel? I know you're my friend and everything, but these guys with Al-Qaeda, they're pretty cool. I'm just going to go hang out with them for a bit. let Let me give you another illustration of this. How would it make you feel if you were on maybe a netball team or a soccer team or an Aussie rules team or a basketball team And you had a a team member who would come, and when they would come, they would come in the opposition's car to the game, and before the game, they would hang out with the opposition, and then at at half-time, instead of hanging out in your huddle, they would go over and hang out and joke with the opposition, and then after the game, they'd go off and have pizza with the opposition. How would that make you feel? You'd be thinking, hey, buddy, what's going on? What are you doing fraternizing with the opposition? You're on our team. You can't be on our team and be friends with them, especially while we're playing against them, right? God feels betrayed because that's what we do when we allow selfishness to rule over our hearts. Look at what he says down in verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How can we be on God's team and then play for another team? You see, when we allow selfishness to rule over our hearts, when we, allow, when we are living for ourselves, we betray our intimacy with God and we show that we are not on his team. So you want to know what the real question is? You can write this in on your outline. The real question is, with whom am I aligned? 
That's what is surfaced. With whom am I aligned? Am I aligned in my heart with God or I am aligned with myself and therefore with the world? With whom am I aligned? Do you know, some of you came in here today and your hearts were really, really cold towards the Lord. Your hearts were cold towards him. And you thought that it was a result of maybe the worship team not singing the songs that you like. Or you, you're cold towards God even now and you think it's because I'm not, not being funny enough or being engaging enough. The reality is, is the result is because you have selfish resentment and bitterness to other people in your hearts. And your heart is not aligned with God. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 23, if you come and you come to bring a, a gift uh, and you come and worship, but as you're bringing your gift, you realize that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Because you can't worship God and have all this bitterness and resentment with your brothers and sisters. It won't happen. It just won't happen. You see, we think that just surrender to Jesus is all about singing a song. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. And we're going to sing that song today. We are. And we're going to mean it from our hearts. We're going to sing it to Him and make a decision to follow Him this week. We are at the end of this service. But your surrender to Jesus is not shown by singing a song. Your surrender to Jesus and your heart, that your heart is aligned with God, is shown that when someone smashes you on this, this chin, you turn the other and say, Lord, I can handle it. And then, Give me another one on this chin. Your alignment with Jesus is shown when someone takes your cloak, you give him your tunic as well. Because that's what Jesus did. He was despised. He was rejected. And even with us now as we are Christians, we still reject Him. We still despise Him. We still turn from Him, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We all do that. And yet, with loving arms, He welcomes us back. And so, fights and quarrels reveal that there is a war within. Reveal what's in your heart. And it reveals whether you are truly aligned with God. So what are we going to do? Because I don't know, you might be saying, but Timon, you don't know. You just don't know what it's like. You have no idea what my husband or my wife is like. They're terrible. They treat me poorly. You just don't know what that person in this church is like or that person in my workplace is like. They really do have a serrated edge personality. Every time you try to get near them, you get your hands cut. Just don't know what they're like. How can we overcome this? I mean, do you ever feel like sometimes in your Christian walk that it's like this? Have you ever been on a beach 
and you're walking on the beach on the sand and then you come to the mud flats and as you enter into the mud flats it's like it's hard going and then eventually you can get stuck i know that some of you are stuck here today i know that you're stuck in bitterness you're stuck in resentment and it's hot you're holding it in your hands and you're like timon i would like to let go how do i do it where will the power come from to let go of it Where will the power come from to let go of my selfishness? Because it's been so many years and the offenses are so huge. How do I let go? That's what some of you are asking. I've got great news. I've got great news from the word of God. I've got great news for you. Such good news. Have a look. Have a look at this. In verse 6. What does it say? I want everyone to read it out. Ready? Read it with me. But he gives more grace. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You guys should be so excited about that. He gives more grace. He gives you the grace to be able to overcome. He doesn't just give you sanctify. He doesn't just give you saving grace. He gives you sanctifying grace. He gives you the ability to overcome. Isn't that great? He gives you the ability to step out of the mud and start to walk. His grace is sufficient for you. He is sufficient for your life. He's given you everything for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who loved us. It is sufficient. Paul prayed. He he had this thorn in his body, this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. Three times. We don't know what that thorn was. It may have been a medical condition. It may have been a sinful temptation that he struggled with. It may have even been his singleness. We know that when we read the New Testament, but by the time he wrote the New Testament, he was a single man. His wife may have left him or he may have never got married. And he may have been singleness. And he prayed, God, take this away from me. But the Lord didn't. Why? Because the Lord says, I want to teach you something. What was the lesson? My grace is sufficient for your life. How do you think God's going to teach you about his enabling, sanctifying, empowering grace? He's going to teach it by bringing along people, people who are who are hard to deal with. He's going to bring along people into my life, into this church who I have to deal with, who are hard to deal with. So that I will rest in him and come back to him and it'll overcome the sinfulness and selfishness of my heart and I'll come back to him. He has more grace. I'm so great that he has more. I'm so glad that he has more grace, aren't you? That he has more grace. It's not just a little bit of grace. He has more grace to be able to change you and help you. That's fantastic news, isn't it? More grace. So how do we access his grace? How do we get this grace? Look at what he says. Verse 6. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. The way you get this grace is by humbling yourself before God. And there are four steps that James spells out in this text. Step number one, verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Step number one, you surrender yourself completely to the Lordship of Christ. You come to God and you say, here's my life, Lord. It's a blank check. You write what you want my life to be spent on. My life is yours. It's a blank check. Point two, 
You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Who do you think is the one who is trying to drag you down and tempt you into self-centered desires? It's the evil one. You resist him by faith because you've submitted yourself to God. Three, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You come back to the Lord God Almighty. And how do you do that? Look at the rest of the verse. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You come back through confession and repentance of sin. And in Psalm 24, it says, Who may ascend to the holy hill of the Lord? He whose hands are clean and his heart is pure before God. You come back and you confess your sins before a holy God. And it's not just this surface repentance. Search me, O God. Know if there be any you know, hurtful way in me. It's not just like a, a listing off of little things here and there. It's a deep, heartfelt work that you do. See what he says. He says, be wretched, verse 9, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That laughter there, that word laughter, is this, there's a laughter in the Old Testament of, of someone who scorns sin, who, who treats sin, the fool treats sin lightly. And they laugh about sin. What James is saying is that sin is no laughing matter. Treat it seriously. Come to God seriously in confession and repentance. I did that this week, right? Because I felt if I'm going to stand up and preach to you, I better make sure that I not only prepare what I'm going to say, which I did. I do that every week. I prepare you know, for hours what I'm going to say. But I need to prepare myself to make sure I am living this. And so I spent hours before the Lord just saying, Lord, is there any hurtful way in me? And I found a few things. And the Lord showed me a few things that I needed to get right. And I got them right this week before I came and preached to you because I wanted a clean, cleansed conscience before God. And the final part of it is verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Entrust your life and your hand into God's hands. You know, I think there are probably some people here today and, uh, and you struggle with your job and the situation that God has placed you in. You really do. And you struggle with that job. You struggle with that situation. You don't know what God has next for you after that situation. I, I get it. I've been there. Like when Tegan and I were struggling in those first five years of marriage, I felt called to go into ministry. I felt that that was God's call on my life. But yet my marriage was falling apart. And so, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go into ministry at that point. And one of my pastors came up to me and he said, Timon, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Just trust God with your situation, with where he's placed you. In due time, he will exalt you to where he wants you to be. And I know it's tough at the time because you're looking out and you're thinking, this is a bad situation. How can I trust God? But he said, take David, for example. David was the king after God's own heart. And God, he wasn't even invited to the prophetic conference, right? When the prophet came and was going to seek to anoint a king, David wasn't even there. You know, God knows where you are and God can come and get you and he can change your situation like that. He did with David. He was out in the wilderness. God came and got him and made him the future king of Israel. 
And God can do the same with you. He can get you from wherever you are. I mean, this was so illustrated to me back at that time. Tegan and I, we were having huge problems in our marriage. I'd put off going to Bible college and I was, we were holidaying at my mother-in-law's house and, uh, and the phone rang at my mother-in-law's house and it was this pastor from Brisbane, this big church pastor. And uh, he rang me up and he said, Timon, do you want a job as a youth pastor? Now, I have no idea how that dude even got that phone number. <laughs> I don't know how he sought me out, how he found me, but he did. And what that illustrated to me was this, is that God knew where I was. Even though I didn't take up the job and said, I have to, sorry, I have to decline because I have to sort out my marriage first. It illustrated to me that God knew where I was and God knows where you are. In due time, he can exalt you. He can change your situation. He can come and find you if you humble yourself under his mighty hand. Entrust yourself to God. So, the real question this morning, OBC, is, is your heart aligned with the living God? And if you've come here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ for the first time, you can come and you can receive his grace for the very first time by trusting in the fact that he died on the cross for your sin and that Jesus rose again if you turn from sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior. But if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you might need to do business with God this morning. You might need to come back to him and humble yourself before him, surrender, write that blank check and say, Lord, here's my life. You write whatever you want. You spend my life on whatever you want. Lord, I come back to you. I want to resist the devil. I want to humble myself. I confess my sin before you. I put things right because I want you to have my heart. We're gonna, we haven't done this for a while, but I'm going to call you forward this morning if you want to do that. If you want to humble yourself before the Lord, if you want his grace, I want you to call, call you forward for prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word to us today. In the midst fights and quarrels, the real question is, is our heart aligned with you? Or are we betraying you? Pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would reach out for your grace and humble themselves under the mighty hand of the Lord God.